Good morning and happy Mother's Day. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 1. There was a teacher who gave her class of second graders a, a lesson on the magnet. And what magnets do, they spent hours playing with magnets over the course of the week, analyzed it, played with them, used them in different ways. At the end of the week, the teacher gave her second graders, she gave them a test in which the question was this. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was astonished to find that almost 50% of the students answered the question with the word mother. <laughs> I pick up things. <laughs> Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature, living thing that moves on the earth. Well, this is called the high point of the creation week where human life is presented really as the pinnacle of the created order of God's creative power. It's the only creative act here where there is a divine deliberation going on. Let us make. Not let there be, but let us make. And he says, let, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This image or likeness of God doesn't mean that we are God in any way, but we share traits. We have the capacity to reason, to love. We have will. We have the ability to know right from wrong. Language similar to God, but not God. Creatures, not the creator. The body, unlike God, who is a spirit and inhabits God, he inhabits all places. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. We are made in likeness and in his image, but there is distinction. And this distinction is brought home in Psalm 8 when the psalmist says, uh, and I hope perhaps you yourself had sometimes uttered these words, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? I mean, it's, 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 it's such a wonderful question. What is there about us? And then he says, yet you have made him 
a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made us. It, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about, even this morning, the heritage we all have, that a loving God designed you and I and made us. He placed with us within his creation at this point in history and in this nation. And when he says in verse 27, man, let us make man in our image, this is the word Adam, it's used in a general collective sense for mankind. He further qualifies it, he says male and female, he created them. So within this word is male and female. And we find this is self-evident. Mankind is made up of two genders, male and female created by God with the purpose of bringing new life into the world. Verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And also to hold command over the natural world as stewards of God, to subdue it and have dominion. And so as we know from chapter two, Adam was created by God from the earth. Eve was created by God from Adam's side, his flesh, so that the scripture says Adam was formed first, then Eve. But all men and women can say with confidence and praise that the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You can go about your, your days knowing this with confidence. Amen. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. But since that day of creation, well, we know mankind fell into sin. And man and woman became bent and broken, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And, and we are given these hard words, these hard truths, that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. One result of this fallenness, the sinfulness now of mankind, is it's a very dangerous thing throughout history to be a woman, to be a female. You know the histories and you know throughout cultures how females have been mistreated. But wherever Christianity went, things are so much better. Don't let anyone tell you differently because they will try to. But wherever Christianity has gone, things are so much better. It's like the tide that comes in, washing the mess on the beach away. From education to hospitals, to orphanages, to the eradication of slavery. 
set in motion when God gave us Philemon. From the work of our hands and how that's valued and laws and marriage. On and on. Wherever Christianity has gone, like the tide coming in, things are so much better. You just need to look at our bulletin and see. I mean, the baby bottles to help that ministry there rescue children and and neighborling to feed people and care for people and and save families there to help the little ones and the refugee couples that mentioned there and on and on it goes. There's an interesting book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And it looks at what life would be like without Jesus, without Christianity, and the powerful difference Christianity has made in our world for the good. Very early in church history, churches where brothers and sisters like you would gather became known as a place where infants could be left and cared for. Early churches had a marble shell, sort of a, a shell cradle almost, where babies could be put knowing they would be cared for. Eventually, what developed was something called a foundling wheel. And there's still a number of these around. Uh, a foundling wheel where this wheel would, would turn and half of it would be outside the, the building and, and, and you could place an infant in there that you would otherwise not be able to care for who would be at great risk. And you would turn the wheel and they would go into the church. The baby would disappear and be cared for. They were installed in many, many places. Many girls especially were saved through this method. This led to the innovation of baby hatches. And these still exist, these are all over the world. Um, Thousands and thousands of babies every year are being rescued and, and saved through baby hatches, wherever Christianity went, these were heated, safe enclosures to receive unwanted babies. And there's thousands now in ministries and hospitals and churches. And there's even some in Canada, they're called angel cradles or they're called different names. There's uh, one in Vancouver, there's a couple in Edmonton and here and there. Baby hatches in the medieval ages led to what was called foundling homes. Foundling homes were places where babies were cared for. And and this eventually, of course, led to orphanages and to care for the babies as they grew. One of the most famous foundling homes for unwanted babies was in England, in London, called the Cram House. It was instituted by a sea captain 
in the 1700s. He was shocked at the number of abandoned babies and dying babies that he saw on the streets of London. And so he began to agitate and push for, for a place for them. And eventually, he got, received a royal charter to establish a foundling home. And Charles Dickens was so impressed with this and was a great supporter of this Karam foundling home. He actually has different ways in his books to promote it and to refer to it in, in, in some of his books like Little Dorrit or Oliver Twist. Think of George Mueller. I mean, wherever Christianity goes, things get better. When he was converted to Christ, he was a thief and a liar. But when he was converted to Christ, um, he was used to, to rescue over 10,000 orphans in miraculous ways. So the influence of Christ brings good things. It brings grace. It brings peace. It brings help and aid and care and love. And don't let anyone tell you that Christianity is a negative influence in the world. They don't know their history at all. Like the tide coming in, Christianity blesses. But wherever Christianity recedes, wherever the tide goes out, things get worse. And we see it today, don't we? We see it in the absurdities and the madness that it seems to have gripped so many minds today. I mean, to live at a time when some will not even hazard to define a woman. They're afraid even to say what a woman is. The tide is going out. And God created man and woman, two genders. And this creative act of God is evident in our DNA, in, at our chromosome level. We, and the fact that females, too, are made in the image of God. This truth was revolutionary. It was earth-shaking, and the implications just poured into cultures that females had value and worth in the same way as men. That we are equal, male and female, in essence, in eternal spirit, and in our capacity for a relationship with God. We're not the same biologically. We're not the same in our roles and our responsibilities, but we are the same in value. The value of a woman is the same as the value of a man, created by God. Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he didn't at all treat women at all as lesser creatures. He spoke with women freely. It was revolutionary. His acquaintances and followers included women. Spurgeon reported how in speaking to a Hindu woman, the Hindu woman said, surely your Bible was written by a woman. Why, said Spurgeon? Well, she said, because it says so many kind things about women. 
It's revolutionary. And we see Christian belief and practice now waning and the tide is going out in the West. It's not a surprise to see again how dangerous it is to be a woman in the world. And this morning we declare the word of truth tells us and shows us that women have value, worth, and dignity and honor that is equal in every way to a man. And women are honored as women. And who are like men fallen, just like men, and need a savior, just like men. And the savior is Jesus Christ. Women are as created beings made in God's image are free moral agents. They simply are not just responders, but they are free moral agents made in essence equal to men, fallen in nature equal to men, and able to be forgiven and saved as all men. Mary, the mother of Jesus herself said, and praise God, her savior, she said in Luke chapter two. And it's interesting to note, and again, revolutionary, woman, were the last at the cross of Christ, were the first at the tomb of Christ. They were the first to hear the Easter message of Christ, that he was risen. They were first to see the risen Christ, and they were first to proclaim that he was risen. Turn over to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter three. Let's just focus on one phrase here in verse seven. He's speaking to husbands, he says, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel biologically, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Heirs with you of the grace of life. There is an equality here. He's saying you're of the same family in Christ. You have the same inheritance, the same father. God is not showing any partiality in any way of men over women. Equal standing, equal value here in the coming age, the age that's coming. And you're going to experience the grace of God equally with men. Women, you will share equally. Galatians says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, he's talking about our, that we are of the same essence. We are together in Christ, heirs together of the grace of life. We are one in Christ, and no one is before another. Men, you should honor your women. They share the same destiny in Christ, 
an internal inheritance in God's kingdom. And so when the psalmist says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that's true for men, that's true for women. And so let's remember that. And the value and dignity and worth and honor of the female and celebrate it. It's a dangerous thing in our world as the tide goes out to be a woman. You know, a teacher asked a boy this question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there's seven of you, your parents and five children. So there's seven of you, she said. What part of the pie would you get? The boy said, a sixth. The teacher shook her head. I'm afraid you don't know your fractions. Remember, there are seven of you. Yes, teacher, said the boy, but you don't know my mother. Mother would say she didn't want any pie so we could all have a bigger piece. <laughs> the selflessness of mothers. And so this morning we say happy Mother's Day to you. And we honor you and delight in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are uh, image bearers together. And in Christ Jesus, uh, new cre creatures together, uh, new creations, and that we are heirs together of the grace of life, male and female. We thank you for this reminder this morning and help us as men to take care and to uh, celebrate and and to never, to, to watch our language, to watch our behavior, that the woman around us would always feel valued and cared for and exalted. We thank you that together in Christ, we are one. And we pray in his name, amen.